Well, good morning, family. I, um, I do want to make a correction. Uh, the announcement about the men's breakfast, it isn't this, this week. I want to make sure you got that. Um, this next week, it's not until January, and we're encouraging guys to help out with, our, um, with the women's Christmas tea and volunteer the, the night before. So um, just put that on your calendar. We'll make sure everybody gets that information this week. Well, this morning, um, we are taking a look at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, and uh, we're going to go down to verse 29. I, um, I, I want to ask this question, because this is kind of the core of what we're looking at this morning, and that is, how passionate are you about your calling? I'll say that again. How passionate are you about your calling? Now, I know that when I say that, there's a whole bunch of people going, what calling? What are you talking about? And, um, and some of you might be thinking, I, I, I don't know if I have a calling. Is there such a thing for me? And the answer is yes, that you have a calling. In fact, you do not even have to be saved yet to have a calling. Jesus made mention of that, that many are called, but few are chosen. The chosen are those who have responded to the call. The chosen are those who've said yes to the Lord and, uh, and have come to Christ, um, you know, for salvation. But the calling is your purpose. It's what God has, well, it's why you were created. The ultimate purpose of your life is your calling. And to discover that is so important in our life. And you, you discover it. There's, in fact, we'll look at kind of today how you discover what that calling is. And some of, uh, some of that will be revealed this morning. But um, the whole element of being called by God. God calls us and there's a purpose for our lives and that's the calling. It's the, the ultimate purpose of God in the kingdom of God. So let's take it, go in to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And uh, if you have your Bibles open there, and let's take a look at um, what God's word says. We've been talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus, it's all about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. We, we've talked about how Jesus, all things were created by him and for him. And that all things are for his purpose, for him and what he desires. And all creation is, uh, is under his authority. Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. So... That, that's, uh, we're looking at Jesus in a new way. We're, we're looking beyond his humanity. His humanity was essential for redeeming us. But we're looking beyond his humanity to who he is and his deity. Jesus was both man, 100%. He became man. He's always been God. He became man so that he could redeem mankind. And his justice would stay intact in doing so. So, 
Paul writes, he says in, in uh, verse 1, I now rejoice in my suffering for you. I now rejoice in my suffering. I'm going to just stop right there because that just kind of sets you back. I, I'm not one that likes rejoicing in suffering. And uh, in fact, I do a lot more complaining during suffering than I do rejoicing by and large. That's, that's just kind of the way I kind of approach, unfortunately, that part of my life. And, but I want you to notice that Paul is saying, Paul rejoices in his suffering, not for his suffering. And there is a difference between that. In his suffering, he's rejoicing, but he's not rejoicing for his suffering. He's rejoicing in his suffering because his suffering is a result of something that for him was well worth it. Well worth it. And, uh, and so, and you know, every mom can probably identify with this. And that is, um, there, there's a, there is suffering before the beauty of that child being born. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there, it is said, I don't know that this is true, that, that when a woman holds that baby that she forgets the pain of the suffering. I don't know that that's true. I know, okay, thank you. I, it was confirmed, it was not true. <laughs> I know, uh, having been with my wife through four births, and, uh, and she's looking at me, don't say anything that will embarrass me. Um, 30, was it 34 or 36 hours? 36 hours, the very first child, Carolyn. And I watch uh, the process of her going through that, and uh, if I was the one giving birth, we would have had one child. You know, Cindy, Nicole, Katie, you'd have never existed. Thank you. That was your mom that went through that. But, but she would say it was worth it. Isn't that right? Yes. She would say it was worth it. It was worth it for which, what, what came forth. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in the suffering that he's going through. He's, he's saying... He, he's saying, I, I rejoice, listen, I, I'm, I, I rejoice in my suffering. He didn't stop there. He says, for you. Because it was because of his suffering. His suffering was for something. He went through the process of suffering. And in this case, he's in prison and he's in prison because he was preaching the gospel and people were being transformed and their lives were being transformed. They were being saved. They were coming into the kingdom and the result was far greater in his heart, the joy of that, that the suffering that he's gone through and the beatings. Listen, Paul went through a lot of suffering for, the, for this. He, he suffered fulfilling his call over and over again, beatings and being stoned and, you know, all the things that he's hunger and, and sleepless nights and all of that. As he chose, he chose to fulfill what God had called him to and he chose for the purpose of seeing the birthing of so many people come into the kingdom. And that was Paul's heart. And no matter what he went through, he was able to rejoice because of the result. 
And even though he has never been to this church in Colossae, it was the fruitfulness of his ministry when he was in Ephesus that produced, you know, the the leadership that eventually started the church in Colossae. So he led them to Christ. He led the leaders, the pastors to Christ who eventually led this church and founded this church and these people now who are now in Christ because of Paul's passion for his calling. And he continued serving God in that way with a joyful heart. And that's why we've talked about this thanks living because he operated in this heart full of, thank, of thankfulness in spite of all the, the persecution and the, the suffering that he went through because he knew it was worth it. Paul could have stopped it all at any time. Paul could have said, you know, I'm just going to go um, you know, find myself a cave somewhere and live or find myself a little town to, to settle down in and, and kind of just live out my life without having to face all this. But he was not willing to do that. His calling was far greater in his heart than to, 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 to back down and just give in to a, a more comfortable life. He chose to fulfill his calling in his life. And so he goes on and says, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, when, when it says this, this can, uh, has caused some confusion as people looked at the lacking of the afflictions of Christ. And it, let me tell you what it's not saying, that Jesus didn't suffer enough for us. That's not what that is about. This is for the purposes of the body of Christ that there is still more and, and still is happening today, the afflictions of Christ. Remember, the, the, the scripture talks about Paul the apostle, who was Saul at the time. Saul was, um, he was persecuting the church. And if you remember Paul, who's writing this, right? He, he, was, he was a, he, he was actually having Christians killed. One of the events that we know Paul was at was at the stoning of St- Stephen. Stephen was being, he was uh, preaching and they took up stones and Paul was there, so his name was Saul then, and he took up the coats. Like, you know, people have coats on, they're gonna stone, say, hey, let me take your coat, make it easier for you. You can get a better aim. You can throw harder. And he took up the coats of those who were getting ready to stone. He was behind it and pushing it. He was forcing it. He had actually gone out and imprisoned Christians and brought them back for for themselves to be in prison and persecuted. That was his goal. He had gotten letters from the leadership in order to do that, and that was Saul. And he was there when Stephen, who was preaching the good news of Jesus, as they were stoning him, he, he said to them, Lord, do not hold this to their account. As, uh, he was watching that as this great man of God is dying, being, being killed in one of the most painful ways of dying. As they were throwing these stones and just pelting him to death. And he looks up to heaven. He says, I see I see Jesus at the right hand. I see the Lord Jesus standing, and Jesus was standing. Paul, 
that affected Paul. He talks about it later on in his life and ministry, that event. That affected Paul's life. This man, the way he suffered as a Christian, the way he suffered was a testimony to Paul. And he then, on the road to Damascus, he was, you know, knocked off his horse and, and uh, he, uh, he saw, and he heard these words from Jesus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He, he, Jesus didn't say, why do you persecute my church? He said, why do you persecute me? Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. And when you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And Jesus said that 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 would happen in the church, that the church would face those times of persecution as they're fulfilling the call, that there'll be people who rise up against the body of Christ, but when they do, they're rising up against Jesus. And Jesus then, of course, the, the process of Saul falling on his knees and saying, who am I persecuting? Who are you that I'm persecuting? Jesus. Jesus reveals himself. Paul becomes converted. Paul understands the power of a Christian going through suffering. That, that the, when, when a Christian goes through suffering, there's a testimony that happens. That the world can't, it's hard to grasp. You see Christians going through suffering. It's not that it's not painful. It's not that they don't at times have sorrow in the process. But there's an underlining joy in a Christian's life that can't be gotten any other way. The only way is through Jesus. And because of Jesus, the, the church is, is revealed in its strength even during suffering. And Paul is saying that he sees that and he says, listen, this is why I'm rejoicing because of what's happening. I rejoice in you. My suffering is because I care about you and your life and I'm not going to stop. I care about those who are lost and I am not going to stop. It was Tertullian who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He, he, he understood something that the more the church was persecuted, the faster it grew. And the more powerful it had become. I, I think, and I'm grateful for the fact of the limited persecution that we face in our country. My whole life as a Christian, I've never been really persecuted. I mean, I've had, I've had some bad words spoken at me. I've had threats. Okay, that's the worst it's got. I've gotten threats. And I'm grateful for that. I, I'm not asking God to make us more persecuted. But I do believe it is one of the reasons why the church in America is a little bit weak. Okay, I, I think it's one of the reasons why we have a lot of spurious salvations. You know what I mean by that? I mean, people who come in because it's just a better life we're gonna get. And that, and it is better. I, I don't think that's a wrong t 
term. I think life is better, but not in the way that a lot of times people buy into. And that, the, the same message of the gospel is the same here in America as it is in China or in Saudi Arabia or Iran. It's the same message. It's the same gospel. It's the same truth. And it works the same here as it does there. And it's not, it's not for the purpose, by the way, I'm not saying this for the purpose of some kind of um, attempted guilt on us. I don't think that's, you know who throws guilt on us, right? It, it, isn't, it isn't the Lord, and it's certain, certainly I don't want to be one of those. I know there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that's okay. But the, the point is, the reason I'm saying this is not for us to go, you know, I'm guilty. I, I'm, I must be less than a Christian because I've not been persecuted. No, I'm thankful. But let me tell you this. It makes, makes me want to check my life and make sure I'm not living my life simply for my Christian life, simply on the basis of the peace and comfort and good things that Jesus offers me that I'm willing to take and take it to the next level in my walk with God and my calling whenever it might cause me discomfort. And what we see in the church is, quite frankly, the church... You see if you agree with me on this. The church is... Um, we're a little bit all about comfort. Right? I remember when we had these fold-up red chairs. In fact, we still have them. Some people have been around for a while. Little plastic things. They're the most uncomfortable things you've ever had. I think we bought them for like 10 bucks a piece. And we had them for years. We still have, have, have them. So if anybody is wanting to uh, cause you know, pain to yourself, we'll pull them out for you. <laughs> And I remember people coming, and I remember there were actually people said, I, I can't sit in those chairs. I'm not coming to church. Unless you get some, com we got some comfortable ones. We want, we want even people that can't handle it to have a comfortable chair. Um, but we're not giving you a lounge chair, so forget about that. <laughs> but point, simply being, we look for, we look for things, oftentimes it's all about the comfort. I, I, I'm, I'm going to serve Jesus as long as it's really comfortable. As long as it's really comfortable. And I'm not sure that's the gospel. I don't think that's exactly how Jesus had set it up to be for the church. I, I think God gives us life and that life more abundant. But I don't think that includes comfortable. In fact, it's the opposite. And what I see here is that Paul is suffering for, because he has this passion for his calling. And that's more important than the comfortable life that would come, you know, in some other way. And so in verse 25, it says, it says that, um, well, going back, it says, uh, and fill up in my flesh what was lacking the affliction of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister. Now, um, mo most translations actually have the word servant, which I like better. 
In fact, I don't like the word minister the way it's used. Usually, in fact, um, uh, identifying who I am as a pastor oftentimes um, is use minister. Are you a minister? Your people will say, are you a minister? And of course, the answer to that is yes, because the word minister means servant. But I'm not the only minister or not even one of a few ministers in the church. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a minister. Now, that, that's biblical. That's biblical. Now, some of you back up on that. Don't call me a minister. I'm not a minister. I don't ever want to be a minister. Too bad. You are one. Whether you want to function in that place, it's not being a pastor. It's being a minister and a servant of Christ. And somewhere along the line, that term got switched. And the problem with the switching of that terminology was that you had the ministers, then you had everybody else. And the church can never function properly with that mentality. The way the church functions is we're all ministers. We all have calling. We all have purpose. We all have things in the kingdom. We're all to be participating in this as we follow the Lord. And if the whole body of Christ is ministering as ministers, watch out. The world's going to be changed. And so he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. So God gave him a ministry that was given for them or for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul understood that him being a minister was God's doing. You understand? It was God's doing. God called him. God directed him. God purposed for him, his life. And that is true for you as well. Your ministry, your calling is been given by God and God has given you something that you can function in at the, the optimal. Paul's type of ministry, what he was doing, he was made for. He was called before he was born. You know, and while he was in his mother's womb, he had a calling on his life. He was gifted for that purpose and fulfilling that purpose was the thing that fulfilled his life. He had a passion for it. And you have a calling, and you were called before you were born. You were called in your mother's womb. I'm convinced that calling was already upon you. And you are gifted with a gift from God that can be effective in the kingdom of God for the purposes of others. God's given you something, and that's one of the things we say around here is you are a 10 some, in something, in somewhere. You, you're, a t you, you're very, very gifted for something. Say, I don't know what it is. And, and you might think the thing that you're gifted in is very, well, minimal. It's hardly even worth mentioning. I, I might be good at something, but it's not really something that anybody would care about. 
And I would say to you, maybe you're either one, missing what you're really good at because you've never functioned in it in the, in, in the things of the kingdom, or what you ha- are good at that you think is minimal, you just have not found out how it can be used by God in the purposes of God. There are things, everyone, everyone, say everyone, everyone has a gift from God and none, no one has a minuscule gift from God. Everyone's gift from God is valuable and important. And all I'm doing is telling you what the Bible says and it's very clear about this. Very clear about this. And 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And the, the, the list is that you are essential, absolutely essential in the body of Christ. And yet, some of us are just comfortable. And that's all we're about. And you're missing your whole purpose in life. I think the greatest sorrows that Christians will experience. You know, the Bible says he wipes away all tears. What tears is someone who is in heaven? Because that's when he wipes away. You know, there'll be a day when we stand before God and he'll wipe away all tears. I don't believe that those tears he's wiping away are the tears of joy. I think he would leave those. You can have tears of joy. These are tears of sorrow. And in my opinion, the tears of sorrow are missed opportunities and callings. You live your whole life without even entering into the purposes that God has for you because you wanted a comfortable life. And Jesus is calling you to something so much more. And Paul here is giving us, this is, this is the heart, this is the, this is the way the heart of a follower of Jesus needs to be. Like Paul who's saying, listen, you know, I know I'm suffering, but it's well worth it. To fulfill the calling that God has on my life. And, and then he, verse 26 is, um, as he said, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. So he's saying, listen, this is what I'm about doing. This is, this is my calling. This is, this is a purpose that God has for me, is to reveal this mystery that's been hidden throughout all, all this time, throughout hidden from ages and from generations. See, this idea of a mystery, it's not like a riddle. It's the, 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 the Bible mystery is, is a revelation that has not been uh, discovered yet or revealed yet. And so there have been some great men and women of God throughout history who have never understood the mystery that Paul is now revealing and who it's And notice it says, but now has been revealed to his saints. That's you. The the saint is the one who's set apart, holy unto God, a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. That this mystery is for you. You're to know it. But Moses didn't know it, and Joshua didn't know it, and David didn't know it, and Elijah didn't understand it, and Daniel didn't have any clue about it, neither Jeremiah or John the Baptist, and I could go on and on and on. 
He's saying in the ages of past and, and, uh, and from generation to generation, this was not understood. It was a mystery. <sighs> are, you, are you ready? Are you ready for the mystery? It, because it's to all the saints. But before he tells you the mystery, he says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches, who's to them, that's the saints, what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles? Here it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. They couldn't imagine that. The Spirit, see, they, they knew who Christ would be. That's the word for Messiah. They knew who the Messiah would be. They, they anticipated the Messiah was coming. They, they all knew that, but none could imagine that the Messiah's spirit would be in someone and that they could live their life with Christ in them. And that was not available to them. It would even been imagined See, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, it's wonderful and it's scary. It's amazing and it's humbling. But above all, it's hopeful. It's a hope. It's a hope of the calling of the Lord. It's a hope of, of the glory of God. Remember in John 14, verse 17, Jesus said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it is neither, neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, he's telling the disciples, that, but he goes this, and will be in you. In you. New location. Not just with you, but in you. I say it's both wonderful and scary. That God is always with us. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is with you. God knows your thoughts. So, there are times I don't want God to know my thoughts. Right? There are times I don't want God to see what I do. It's scary. It's wonderful. There are times when I feel alone and I then can, eat, I can talk to him and know that he's, I'm not alone. I'm never alone. There's times when I need a counselor and uh, he's right there to counsel me and help me. There's times when I need peace and his peace. It's in him, the presence of, of his presence in me rises up. There's times when I feel like running, but I can't outrun him. He's inside me. It's, it's wonderful. Romans 8.10 says, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Jesus is in you, you're righteous in God. When God the Father sees you, in, he looks and he sees Christ in you. What does he see? Righteousness, holiness, purity. 
So because of Christ in us, we have a hope. That hope is an anxious anticipation of the glory of God. An anxious anticipation that someday we will be with him eternally because we're already with him eternally. You see, we're not just going to go to be with Jesus. We're already with Jesus. We might change location and still be with Jesus, but we're not leaving to go be with Jesus. Isn't there kind of a, a, a full presence of God? Yeah, there's kind of a kind of glory of God that we'll see in a full revelation of Jesus we'll see. But right now, already Jesus is in us. The Spirit of the Lord dwells inside of us. And we, like Jesus, will see who we are in Christ at that point. Right now, we have limited view of who we are. The Bible says when we see him, when we see him, we will be like him for we will see him as he is. So we will have a, a, a greater revelation at some point of who Jesus is. But more than that, we'll have a greater revelation of who you are. Um, Carol and I and one of our grandchildren were uh, revisiting uh, the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Chronicles of Narnia. And, uh, it, and in that story, if you've, ever, if you've not seen those movies, you need to go, go visit those again. I mean, if you have never seen them, you've got you to gotta see them. Uh, C.S. Lewis did a phenomenal job in that allegory, in that story. But one of the things you see is that the sons and daughters of Adam, that who they are, and, and they don't understand who they are. And the first thing that comes is they're recognized you're a son of Adam, you're a daughter of Adam, and all, the, all of the creation sees and, and more, knows more than what they know about who they are. Both, both the, 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 the light side and the dark side, both. You know, both those in the king, which would be in the kingdom of Aslan or the kingdom of God and those in the kingdom of darkness. They both identify who the sons and daughters of Adam are and there's an awe and a respect and a fear, both. Kingdom of darkness fears the sons of Adam. Kingdom of light looks to them and sees and knows what their future is as kings and, uh, and, uh, and, and leaders. And, and, uh, and of course, in the storyline, queens of God. But we're all kings. We're all in the kingdom of God. God is making a kingdom of priests and, uh, unto God. So we're, we... Um, the, the, the story gives a revelation of that. Let me tell you, the Bible gives us a revelation that someday you're going to actually know who you are. And, and when that day comes, because when that day comes, what you will see is you'll see that all of creation, the Bible says all of creation groans in anticipation of the sons of God. And in, in, in anticipation of that day of revelation. So creation understands. The kingdoms of this world and the spiritual entities in this world and beyond understand. The angels understand who you are. The Bible says, Do you know, don't you know that you will judge angels? We'll go, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do that. 
So you kind of get even kind of bewildered a little bit about what it means to be a child of God, and someday we're going to get full knowledge of that. But there's so much revelation of that that we don't live with in understanding, and so we live so much beneath it. It's something this book has been teaching us the last couple of weeks as we've talked about the fact that the big problem is the difference between who we are, who God sees us as, and who we see ourselves as, and who, the, who others see us as. There's, there's this gap, and God wants, to, God wants to, to, to narrow the gap. He, he wants us to start living like who we really are. And you, you can't discover that without the revelation that comes in Christ and acknowledging his call upon your life and beginning to live that out as God's, God's purpose for you. So Paul, Paul says in verse 28, him we preach, we know who, who him is, right? Jesus, we preach warning, the word warning there, um, the, the Greek word means to impart understanding, so it's not like just kind of scaring people in. It's not that, not that kind of warning. It's imparting understanding to every man and woman, that is, that's mankind, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. See, Paul's, this is his calling. This is why he goes to prison. This is why he gets beaten and stoned and why he keeps getting up and going into the next city and doing the next thing. Paul understands his calling. And I want to say this, that your calling has something to do with that too. It has something to do with that. It has something to do with calling every man and woman to this place that brings them into perfection in Jesus Christ. That is our calling. And how that lives out for Paul, he was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He went he, he was a missionary. He went out. That, that, that is not the calling of everyone. Not that way. But your calling will affect. It's for the purpose of seeing everyone come to Christ. That's what your calling is about. Don't let the size of the task keep you from doing the thing that God's called you to. The task is too big for anyone. It was too big for Paul. Did Paul win everyone to Christ? Did everyone? No, not even close. Not even close. I would, I'd venture to say he had more rejections than success. But it never slowed him down because that was his purpose and that was his calling and he was going to do whatever God wanted him. And he wants you to notice in verse 29 it says, to this end I also labor. I'm, I go for it. So Paul is not saying I'm sitting around in my easy chair and God if you've called me make it happen. I know it'll happen someday. Someday I'll fulfill my calling. Someday I'll because God will make it happen. Right. Pa Paul says, 
God put him in the ministry, but Paul says, I also labor. I put my hand to the plow. I do stuff. I get out of my easy chair. I get out of my easy chair. I just got a brand new easy chair. I have to tell you, I got a brand new easy chair. The one I had, well, I had it for many, many years. And uh, the stuffing was coming out of it. And, the, and I liked it, though. It was comfortable. And I got harassed by my family. Dad, you got to get, get a new easy, we got to get a, you a new chair. You can't have that chair. I taped it up really good. It was comfortable. My new easy chair is not quite as comfortable. But that's okay. Because I really don't need to sit in it that often. What I need to do is get out of my comfort zone and labor for the kingdom of God. He says, striving according to his working. And here's the point. It isn't just you laboring. It's laboring and he's working. He's working. You see, there was a, a, a time when Spurgeon, the great preacher, he was, he was preaching, he, had, he, he, had, he, had, uh, he was preaching morning and evening, seven days a week. And you know he had the largest church in the world at the time, incredibly fruit, fruitful ministry. And um, he had a missionary who was on the mission field had come and just spent some days with him. And he went with him to everything. And he said to Spurgeon, he says, how are you doing this? You're doing the work of two people. And Spurgeon says, yeah, you got it right. It is two people. It's me and the Lord. It's his strength. See According to his working, works in his, his mighty. I work relying on him that he works. I'm going to close with this story and I'm done. The story is about a young man named William Borden. He was an heir to a family fortune. He was in his, he was only, he was only in his early 20s when God called him. He heard the call of God. He understood what God wanted for him. And instead of taking and living the easy life with this fortune that he had, he turned around and gave his fortune for the kingdom of God on the mission field. He himself decided to go on the mission field to serve Jesus. At 25, or at at 25 years old, he went to Egypt to preach the gospel and to learn language, and then he was going to go to China. He felt the call of God. Three months after he arrived in Egypt, he contacted spinal meningitis. Only three months. While on his dying bed, unable to speak, he was asked if he regretted his life. Did he regret going to the mission field? Has he regretted his life with Christ? He couldn't speak, so he wrote two words, no regrets. His, 
he, 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 um, he had distributed everything to mission groups, Christian ministries, leaving him only a cement slab as a gravestone. You can still find it in Egypt. Engraved at the bottom were these words uttered in memorial of his life. These are the words. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. When you look at Paul's life and, and the story, apart from Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. Why, why would someone do that? Why would someone still keep getting thrown in prison? Why would someone keep getting beaten and broken and, and suffer hunger and pain and sleepless nights? Paul's not the only one. Paul's story is going on today all around the world. There are, there are followers of Christ today who are in prison, who are in prison because of sharing their faith, and when they get out of prison, they'll go back and keep doing the same thing. They know that's the cost. But for them, the rewards, what, what the outcome is, is well worth it. It's like that mom holding that baby. It's well worth it. When you fulfill your calling, even if it gets you out of your easy chair, folks, it's well worth it. It's well worth it. And only a life in Christ is the explanation for that. It's well worth it. Well, Father, today I feel like the call that you've placed. And I pray that, Lord, today as you're calling us and saying, will you follow me fully? Will you lay down the, the, your purposes and plans and fulfill my call on your life? Lord, I pray today that, Lord, decisions will be made that will be life-changing, not just for the people sitting in this room, but for the people these people will touch by fulfilling your call, by doing what you've asked them to do. Lord, I pray. And I pray for anyone, Lord, in this building or watching online who today would say, I want Jesus. I want that kind of Jesus and you can simply pray, Jesus, come into my life. I invite you into my life. I ask you, Jesus, to be Lord of my life. I believe you died for my sins and you were buried and conquered death. Jesus, be my savior. I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sin and help me to follow you, Jesus. Amen. We'll have communion in a minute. Just want to worship with us. We'll have communion. They're passing out the elements. 
today as we, uh, as we take communion, we're reminded that Jesus got out of his chair. It was the throne in heaven. It was an easy chair. He left it to make the greatest sacrifice to suffer and die for you and me. And so today we do as he instructed us on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Lord, we thank you, we receive. That night he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant of my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you for the blood that you shed for us, Lord. Our sins forgiven because of your sacrifice we receive.
see you on Wednesday or Sunday.